Some words from Ephesians chapter 5. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Our prayer of approach this morning comes from the book Prayers of the People, a collection of prayers written by Baptists. And this one was written by Faith Bowers, who is a member at Bloomsbury Baptist Church in London. Creator God, when we look at the natural world, we marvel at the variety in creation. We appreciate the fertile valleys and the rugged hills, the tiny violet and the tall sunflower, the housebound snail and the lofty giraffe. But we confess that when we turn to our fellow human beings, we are often less enthusiastic about diversity. We are drawn to those who share our culture, our interests, our politics, to those who like the same music, who support the same causes, who worship in the same way. Forgive us when we are suspicious and even hostile towards people who differ from us. Give us the grace to appreciate others. Help us to welcome insights that come from other nations and cultures. To see beyond disabilities to the gifts of those who cope with limitations. May we rejoice in our own church life, but also be open to learn from those who worship in other ways. Creator God, give us eyes to see all the good in the diversity of your rainbow world. Amen. Hello, everyone. I'm reading from John chapter 4, and I'm reading verses 5 to 42 from the NIV. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? 
Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now, sorry, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, Four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the women, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world.
During Lent this year, we are reflecting on some of the stories of Jesus' encounters with different people as recorded in the Gospel of John. And we're doing it in a slightly experimental way, whereby I offer a fairly short spoken reflection, lasting around about 10 minutes. And after that, we participate in a further period of silent, personal reflection with a few resources to help us on the way. So some people were here last week and have already had a go at this. Other people, this will be the first time, have a chance to try this. The story begins when, aware of the religious authorities' scrutiny, Jesus decides to head away from the limelight and back up north, taking the shorter, arguably more dangerous route via Samaria. Tired from the journey, he stops to rest at the well at Sukkar and sends the disciples off to the city to buy provisions. The story as it's recorded, by and large, has no witnesses, so it must have been put together from later conversations. But let's try to enter into the scene, forgetting what we already know about the story, and try to watch it as it unfolds. Oops. I've got things in the wrong order here. There we go, we'll get there eventually. We start off with a man and a woman. It's perhaps unusual given the time of day, but actually it's nothing past remarkable at all. A weary weary traveller resting by a well and a peasant woman arriving to draw water. It's only as the conversation begins that our interest is aroused. There is potential impropriety here. In this culture, at this time in history, men and women simply did not meet alone, never mind engage in conversation. A barrier has been crossed. Something curious has happened between this man and this woman. Then, Jesus issues a command, give me a drink. It's not a request. In the first century, women did as they were told. Somehow, the woman recognises that Jesus is not one of her own people, but he's a Jew. How would that have been the case? Because both Samaritans and Jews were Semitic people whose physical appearance would be very similar. Was it maybe his accent or his style of dress that gave away his identity? Whatever it was, she spoke assertively. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. This just cannot be. We've heard the story so many times that we know that's what she says. But in its context, it's quite shocking. Not only does she speak up, but she crosses another barrier, the barrier of race and religion. It began with a man and a woman who happened to be at the well at the same time. Now, 
it's a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman engaged in a conversation. The scene is set for an extraordinary theological conversation that does have some echoes of the early story of Jesus and the Jewish Pharisee, Nicodemus. Whilst Nicodemus had come by night, presumably to avoid controversy, this conversation with a Samaritan woman takes place in broad daylight. And it's a conversation that is delightful in its impertinence. Whilst a woman understands living water literally, rather than as a metaphor, she's not least bit intimidated by this Jewish rabbi who purports to be able to give her water without so much as a bucket. In response to this seemingly preposterous claim that Jesus makes, she counters with a question about his identity. Who are you? Are you claiming to be greater than Jacob who gave us this well? What we actually see is a fairly equal conversation. The woman is clearly on an education, sorry, an intellectual par with the Jewish Pharisee, Nicodemus, who we heard last week. Okay, she can't understand Jesus' reference to the, um, the spiritual, the water as something spiritual, just as Nicodemus couldn't understand the second birth as something physical. For her, what she hears is, well, you know, if you could give me this living water, then I would be freed from the tyranny of coming back to this well day after day to collect water. That sounds like something good. Gender, race, and status or education do not determine the level of insight or curiosity. This woman, foreign, and probably uneducated, is just as important in Jesus' eye as Nicodemus, the very well-educated Pharisee. Suddenly, the conversation takes an unexpected turn. Talk of water and wells dries up. Pun? Joke? No? Okay. Talk of water and wells dries up. It didn't work out the last time I tried it either. And Jesus says to the woman, he commands him, he says, go and fetch your husband. Where on earth did that come from? Why did he ask her that question? Was it a recognition that this conversation was actually getting a little bit dangerous? That it was so far from societal norms and, and such like that a chaperone was needed? How did she feel? Did she fear that she'd overstepped the mark and that her husband, whoever that was, was being called to bring her to older? Her response, I have no husband, and Jesus' statement that she'd had five husbands and now lived with a man not her husband, are, I think, among the most abused in the whole of Scripture. And we need to be very, very careful how we approach them. Women in the first century were pretty much chattels. They could be divorced on a whim by their husbands because they were poor cooks or because they didn't give birth to sons. Maybe, maybe this woman was a victim of such circumstances. It's equally possible that she had been widowed five times. Possibly, 
she had been a victim of, of domestic abuse, and maybe she'd been sold into domestic service. Perhaps she was a concubine to the man she had, with him having her. Perhaps she had very little choice, and it was the only way she could survive, because there was no social networking that we have in those days. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman or her circumstances. He just notices this as a statement of fact. We have to work really hard not to read back our 21st century Western evangelical morality into a 1st century Jewish story. When Jesus identifies the woman as having a complicated past and possibly a chaotic present, she identifies him as a prophet. As this conversation progresses, we discover more and more about who the woman is, and she discovers more and more about who Jesus is. We began a woman and a man meeting at a well. We discovered that he was Jewish and she Samaritan. Now we find out that she has a complex path, and she finds out that he is a prophet. After this startling revelation about her domestic life, the woman continues the theological conversation seemingly unabashed. Jesus' response is to reveal more and more of himself, ultimately declaring himself to be the long-awaited Messiah. This is the absolute epitome of revelation. Jesus says this to a woman a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman with unusual domestic arrangements, that he, the one with whom she is speaking, is the Messiah. Now, if that doesn't blow your minds, it probably should. If we were hoping for her to fall onto her knees and make a profession of faith, faith, we're disappointed. We are left wondering as the woman walks away, leaving behind her bucket and some rather gobsmacked disciples who are wittering about food, about bread. Out of sight and out of earshot, the woman goes back home and starts to tell her neighbours what she's seen and heard, and they listen to her. The Gospel writer reports that many believed in Jesus just based on what she had to say. The people listened to her. That suggests to me that they couldn't have all hated her. She couldn't have been a total outcast. They listened to her and were sufficiently curious that they wanted to see Jesus for themselves, seeking him out and inviting him to come and stay for two days. Now they had the opportunity to hear Jesus and what he had to say, to ask their questions. And at the end of that time, they could say, do you know what? We believe this for ourselves, not just because of what you said. And that's it. We don't hear any more about this woman or her neighbours. There's nothing to tell us whether or not she formalised her living arrangements. Nothing to report about this embryonic community of Jesus' followers who happened to be Samaritan. They just disappear, and we never hear of them again. Rather like most of the characters in the Gospel. 
as you've heard the story again, and perhaps as you've looked at the pictures, has anything surprised you? Do you wonder what happened next in this story for her or for her neighbours? And I wonder, what does this story have to say to us as we tread our own path through Lent this year? And we'll remain seated as we sing this song. It's a dear longs for running streams. It's the first two verses of number 10 in Common Ground. So now we're going to move into our time of private reflection. And as last week, um, I've prepared some sheets uh, with some questions and a poem and a copy of one of the pictures that we looked at. If that's helpful for you as you reflect, that's great. If it's not, that's fine. Um, At the back, we have paper and pens and stuff if, if you prefer to draw or doodle. We also, because of a kind of a watery theme going on, we've got a jug and some glasses and a bowl with some water in. If, if it's helpful to go and use those, please feel free to do so. If you need to move around during the reflection, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but we do ask that you maintain silence for the full 10 minutes, after which we will sing again. And just to help ease us into that, there is some music for the first couple.
in our prayers and ourselves for ourselves and for others. Uh, we'll use this morning a sung response, uh, which is appropriate in the circumstances of these days. It's from the Orthodox tradition in Ukraine, and we know it very well. It's the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. We'll sing it once uh, before we enter our prayers and three times during the prayers. down her water jar and hurried back to the town to tell the people, come and see the man who has told me everything I have done. Could this be the Christ? Let us pray. We have heard again the story of the Samaritan woman, a story which reaches across boundaries of gender, of status, of culture, of education, of religion, of identity, affirming a common humanity and the radical implications of following Jesus. And so in this moment, may we recall an experience in our own lives which has reached across boundaries. How did it change our life? Where in your life, where in my life, might a similar experience be needed now? Lord, look on us with mercy. give thanks for the moments when we catch glimpses of grace, when we are turned around and have the ability to make a different start, experiencing living water for our thirst. And so we pray for living water for our world, that the cause of a common humanity, embracing but also transcending culture and language, may be present in the tension in Ukraine. That the cause of a common humanity, embracing but also transcending interpretations of history and theology, may be present in Palestine, Israel. That the cause of a common humanity may eventually prevail in Syria, 
and in the many governments which actively continue to sponsor and encourage the conflict there. Lord, look on us with mercy. Pray for living water for us, that we may listen for God speaking in us and through others, that we may live in solidarity with the powerless, that we may become more compassionate, that we may embrace our experience but transcend our prejudices. that we may come to Jesus just as we are. Lord, look on us with mercy. May the Christ we encounter at the lakeside and at the wellside continue to intrigue and to inspire us so that we, with willing feet and glad hearts, might invite our neighbours and those we meet to come and see the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And may God bless us and all creation with the Spirit's refreshing water, this day and always.